Coming up on Stu Does America, remember the Jacob Blake story a few months back that media heralded as another police trying to murder an unarmed black man story. Well, some new facts have come out and they don't exactly support that narrative. The Blaze's Leon Wolf joins us with the scoop. And it seems like I've heard it a million times. Kamala Harris, the first person of color to be sworn into the office of the vice president. Now, our dear Kamala may be many things, but that is not one of them. We'll tell you the story of the actual first vice president of color. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Just a reminder that you can catch all of our episodes completely free on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, and more. Just head to stewdoesamerica.com for all the links and help us take a stand against conservative censorship. You know how much of that is going on right now. Check out a Blaze TV account right now. You can go to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 30 bucks for a limited time. Okay, America, I have a question for you. Are you ready to mask up? I hope so because otherwise you're going to prison. Let's do mask mandates. Stu does America. Yesterday, we talked about a little incident of apparent hypocrisy regarding the incoming Biden administration and an executive order he signed requiring masks on federal property. Peter Ducey of Fox News Channel asked the press secretary, America's press secretary, Jen Psaki, a somewhat uncomfortable question. Why weren't President Biden and all members of the Biden family masked at all times on federal lands last night if he signed an executive order that mandates masks on federal lands at all times? At the inaugural... At the uh, memorial, yes. I, I think, Steve, he was celebrating uh, an evening uh, of a historic day in our country, and certainly he signed the mask mandate because it's a way to send a message to the American public about the importance of uh, wearing masks, how it can save tens of thousands of lives. We take a number of COVID precautions, as you know here, in terms of testing, social distancing, mask wearing ourselves, as, as we do every single day. But I don't know that I have more for you on it than that. Now, people are hammering Jen Psaki for her answer there, but Jen Psaki is not the problem. Jen Psaki is never the problem. It was Joe Biden who signed the executive order and then went out on federal property without a mask multiple times. This is a Biden failure, not a Psaki failure, and I will not stand for anyone telling me anything different. That being said, you have to wonder if there was a moment where anyone in the presidential briefing room realized that, you know, Jen Psaki was also not wearing a mask uh, right in front of them while answering the question on federal property. And that briefing room looks pretty big on TV, but it is tiny. As the White House Museum notes, although the briefing room might appear spacious and even glamorous to those watching at home, it is not. In a space no longer than a decent-sized living room, 48 small theater-style chairs are crammed together feet from the podium. In fact, these reporters are sitting just a few feet away from the speaker, who is on an elevated platform, by the way. This is all occurring in a room with absolutely no ventilation whatsoever. And while they have cut down on the amount of people in the room because of the coronavirus, it's still a clear violation of the executive order that was actually being explained at the time. Now, I am not arguing that Jen Psaki should start wearing masks. Quite the opposite. In fact, I would fully support an executive order specifically exempting Jen Psaki from wearing masks. But that's just me. It's the right thing to do for America, especially with our country in such tumultuous times. 
But this controversy highlights something even bigger. It's obviously correct to criticize Biden for not living up to his own edict. But why is it correct? It's not correct because Biden is doing something wrong. It's correct because Joe Biden is acting intelligently. Every single person on earth knows at this point that wearing a mask when you're basically by yourself outside is completely pointless. It is a mandate without a point. As a person who quite literally caught COVID-19 at a restaurant, I can tell you that when you're indoor and in close quarters, there's plenty of reason to take as many precautions as possible. But there's no evidence whatsoever that Biden wearing a mask in this circumstance could possibly make any difference. And I will note, Joe Biden was vaccinated a month ago. While I don't believe he's had his second shot yet, the studies show a massive decrease in your chance to get COVID after just a couple of weeks. We all know that some people in the White House and some who work in federal buildings have already been vaccinated or are COVID-19 survivors like myself. I'm not sure they're as brave as me, but that's another story. Why are those people wearing masks? Why am I still wearing a freaking mask? Because of the one in a billion chance I could get COVID twice? Look, we all agree that everything should be done to protect the lives of those serving in this difficult time. People like Jen Psaki, for example, no sensible measure should be avoided to protect Jen Psaki, for example. But these aren't sensible measures, and that's what drives everyone nuts. We've talked about this since March, but beyond the fact that mandates are almost always an overreach and an incorrect intrusion on the grounds of personal liberty, they also do not work. People do what they want to do. This is long forgotten. But the mobility data showed quite clearly that people went into lockdown before the government mandated it. And they came out of lockdown before the government told them that they could. People wear masks when they think they'll be helpful and they don't wear them when they know that they won't be helpful. Joe Biden was simply doing what everyone, including Joe Biden, knows is right. Standing outside by yourself wearing a mask is only for Halloween, Antifa, or ugly people. Not for people like Jen Psaki. It's common for conservatives to make an argument that goes something like this. Southern California has been locked down the whole time, and their cases are out of control. Well, now lockdown isn't exactly the right description of what has happened in Southern California, but it has been among the most restrictive places in the country. Why are their cases going crazy? They've got mandates. Partially, it's because these measures are not as ironclad as they're made out to be. Every time some media member says, just wear an effing mask, it misinforms people on what the science says. Maybe we'll go through a bunch of these mask and social distancing studies next week. But nowhere does the science suggest that just effing wearing a mask will stop the spread of COVID. There are plenty of studies that suggest you can slow the spread of COVID and perhaps lower the intensity of COVID if you get it at least in certain indoor situations. But just effing wearing a mask will not stop the virus. It's not going to happen. All of all the safety standards together, that can help a lot. But even that won't entirely stop it. Not to mention that the people aren't nearly as diligent as a mandate would suggest. Just like the mobility data and the lockdowns, you don't just mandate masks and then everyone wears them. That's just not how it works with freaking human beings. USC did a survey asking people if they use their masks. In grocery stores, the number was pretty high, about 85% mask usage. 
But that's a public place where Karens are much more likely to mask shame you. When people were just hanging out with their friends, only about half of the, of the people actually wore masks. And if my experience is any indication, that is way overstating it. Only about half of people who go to church wear masks and less than half of people who have attended large gatherings wear them. Again, this is what people are admitting to. That's because we're freaking Americans and a mandate doesn't mean what it meant in freaking Czechoslovakia. You can't judge the effectiveness of anything in America by saying it's mandated or it's not mandated. The L.A. Times went out and creepily stalked 3000 people to see if everyone was correctly wearing their masks. What they found, only 42% of people were actually wearing masks correctly. Another 10% were wearing them incorrectly. And 47%, this is Southern California we're talking about, were not wearing them at all. Why? It was mandated the whole time. Probably because many of those people were actually outside, and it is literally dumb to mandate masks outside unless you are in really tight quarters, like, for example, this Los Angeles BLM protest from the summer. <laughs> now, that might be another story. And, of course, it's the one time the media wasn't carroning people for not wearing masks. Texas is a lot different from California, but we do have a statewide mask mandate here. I oppose it on personal liberty grounds, but it's my belief that literally zero people have actually been fined by the state. But a lot of people take a lot of time complaining about this mandate. However, I spent time in Florida last year. They have a similar general embrace of liberty there, but no mask mandates. Guess what? It felt the exact same way. Most places required them anyway. Some places didn't care. The mandate makes little to no difference whatsoever in actual everyday life. Do I like it? No. Especially because I already had the stupid virus, so every time I put it on, it is entirely for show or to make other people feel comfortable. But so much of this is just marketing. When our own Glenn Beck was a kid, these commercials were on TV constantly. When prime ribs are roasted just right, you can practically taste them with your eyes. And with garden vegetables, simmered till they just turn tender, you can almost see how good they're going to taste. It's the same with home pride butter top bread. It looks and tastes like real bread should. Because we split the top, add butter, and let it bake right in. Home pride butter top, white and wheat. You can practically taste it with your eyes. Mm. Practically taste it with your eyes. Glenn worked in a bakery as a kid, to no one's surprise. And he saw those commercials on TV. And he suggested to his dad, the baker, Hey, dad, you know, why don't we split it down the middle and pour butter on like the home, uh, the home pride butter top people do? And his dad said, paraphrasing here, obviously, Hey, idiot, what do you think we're doing? You're brushing the bread right now with butter, you moron. Everybody does that. That's just all stupid marketing, you dope. Again, he was a nice man. I'm just paraphrasing. But this is what the Biden administration is doing now. A hundred million vaccinations in a hundred million days, or not a hundred million days. That would be one vaccination a day. Very slow. hundred million vaccinations in a hundred days. That's just marketing. Trump was already doing over 900,000 a day and things are just ramping up. Likewise, a mask mandate is just marketing. And sometimes marketing can be important. Trump did a hell of a lot to stop the spread of this virus. Not everything worked, obviously. This is a vicious little bastard of a disease we're dealing with. But the U.S. is no worse off than Europe throughout this crisis, and we developed the vaccines that will get us out of it. But as I argued throughout the campaign, 
Trump was taking a massive risk by marketing himself as a sort of flippant uh, figure uh, on the seriousness and sort of disconnected to the impacts of the virus. Again, by allocating massive resources, Trump showed he did recognize the seriousness, but he gave the vibe of a kind of shoulder shrug. Biden has done the opposite. He's signaled that he would take it very seriously while marketing a very similar plan as Trump had. With so many Americans affected by this, it was a very risky strategy and the opposite of the strategy he took with people's jobs. He always signaled to the people that he took that very seriously. The point is, marketing matters. It shouldn't matter in a perfect world, but we don't live in a perfect world. Ask Jen Psaki. Mm -hmm. Here she is, just doing her job, serving the American people, helping guide a wayward country through a difficult time. Remember, the press secretary doesn't work for Joe Biden. The press secretary works for us, and she shall not be masked. Yes, you may be surprised that not every story about Glenn Beck and business revolves around butter. Uh, it's a surprise to me. I know. He also started a business called realestateagentsitrust.com. Now, at no time during the formation of realestateagentsitrust.com was he berated by his father for not putting butter on bread. He always puts butter on bread now, and he puts butter on everything else. But realestateagentsitrust.com is a great company because Glenn has had particular experience, number one, with butter, but number two, with real estate agents that didn't work out that well. Realestateagentsitrust.com is his plan to kind of solve this problem. Uh, it's a whole process where people who are real estate agents get screened for their performance and their attitude and their, uh, their way of doing business, their reliability, their sales, all the factors that you want to kind of take into account when you uh, go find a real estate agent. They just do all that work for you, and then they can tell you who the best agents are in your area. Give it a shot. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You can get more information there. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Whether you're buying or you're selling, get the best price. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Joined now by Leon Wolf, managing editor of The Blaze. You may know that. It's a website, blaze.com. You like it. Leon, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. Good to be here. Uh, thanks. You know, it's been a, quite a couple of weeks, um, a lot of things going on. I have a couple of things I want to cover with you, but I want to start with a story that sort of got buried in all of all of the craziness. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jacob Blake situation, which was obviously a big cause for all of the rioting and everything else, the mess that went on this summer. There's been some pretty big developments in that story, and I know you've gone over them. Can you walk us through this? Yeah, and I, a lot of this stuff kind of was brought up by the police in the immediate days after, you know, the Jacob Blake situation, you know, kind of exploded and, you know, the, the riots started happening in Kenosha. But I, I've learned over the years to kind of be be skeptical, really, quite frankly, of, of both sides of the story, both the mm -hmm. people who are making the complaints against the police. But sometimes, I mean, and we've covered it at The Blaze, sometimes the, the explanation the police give doesn't match up with what the video shows later as well. So right. we wanted to kind of like wait on all of that, which would be ideal if everyone would, would start doing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> probably doesn't seem very likely to happen anytime in the future. But yeah, you know, you hear, you, you hear about Jacob Blake and the first thing you hear is that he was shot seven times in the back. And, you know, the, your first reaction upon hearing that is, man, 
what could someone do to deserve being shot seven times in the back? Uh, but it really seems like he worked pretty hard at, uh, I don't want to say earning being shot seven, but I, I think it was clearly justified. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, the story came out, it was sort of this story we've heard too many times where someone just gets shot. Uh, it's promoted usually as a, sort of an unarmed incident where a person's unarmed, a black man shot by a, a white man for no reason at all. And then it, the trickle comes out, right? Slowly over time, we learn more. Sometimes there have been several cases, as you point out, that ha the police have not been justified in what they've done. But uh, more often than not, we find out that there was a real reason and an understanding that we didn't have at the begin beginning of this case. Um, one of the things with Jacob Blake was his, cr his criminal history, which I think would cause the police officers to have real pause and, and to be appropriately uh, afraid of, of what he might do in a situation like that. But also the fact that, you know, the police did say at the beginning he had a knife. You couldn't see that in the video. Um, now we know that for certain. Yeah. That, and he's not only that, he admitted it. I mean, he's and that's the case closed. I mean, the whole thing about they shot an unarmed man seven times in the back is just conclusively not true by the admission of the person who was shot. There's it's just it, it's definitively not true. And I think that one of the things that should have given people pause about this this particular story from the get-go. And, and I don't think that normally you should say, well, here's a person who has a criminal past, therefore the force that the police used upon them was justified. That's that's not really right. how it should go. But in this particular case, the one thing that should have alerted us that this was potentially a, a justified issue is that this was a, a woman uh, against whom he had a restraining order, or, or she had a restraining order against him mm -hmm. due to a previous accusation of, of sexual assault. And when police go into a situation like that, where you have a woman who's made a complaint against a man uh, for having assaulted her, and there's an order of protection, and the, the woman calls the police, and this, this all was verifiable right away. Um, you know, the police are going into that situation with the assumption that the woman's life is in danger because that's, you know, that's basically why you get a court order, you know, telling you to stay, you know, 100 feet away or however many feet away it is from a person. Mm -hmm. So I think at the get go, people should have been a little more skeptical about this and, and, and what was happening here, just knowing what the police were walking into. Yeah, I mean, I think you're correct in saying you, you, just because you had a previous offense, no matter how bad it is, and we went over the details of that case when it was first coming out, and it was really bad. I mean, her accusations against him were horrific. Um, and uh, that does not mean he gets shot in, if seven times in the back. That's not how this works. Though I do think it works that when that pre-existing uh, information exists, the guy who got shot does not become a cult hero. The guy who got shot does not go in the back of New Orleans Saints jerseys uh, in the in the right. following weeks. This sort of like, you know, it is OK to say if you believe that, that he was wronged in this situation. But still, it's important to note that this guy was not a good guy. Uh, he had all sorts of, 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 of massive problems. And lionizing people in this situation is wrong. I mean, you could look at Breonna Taylor the totally opposite way. Here's someone who didn't seem to do anything wrong. And, uh, and that really is a tragic situation. And her name means something, though, not in, I don't think, in the, in the, in the way that it's been utilized. But, but I think is someone you could hold up as a real tragic situation. This is one where, I mean, this, is, this woman was terrorized by this guy. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, and it's, it's it's just inexcusable that Kamala Harris goes and meets with him and says, well, I'm proud of him. I, I'm not entirely sure what you should be proud of him for. He's, 
extraordinarily lucky to be alive today. And to me, the the key thing, even if you're inclined to believe, well, this this guy is a violent criminal who was in the presence of a woman who had a protective order against him, all this other stuff. Well, you still shouldn't have shot him seven times in the back. I mean, the the, the number one thing that that kind of closes the door on that is that the specific thing that the woman called the cops to tell them was that he was going to steal her car or like she had a rental car and he had stolen the keys and he was going to take the car. The cop, you know, hears that there are kids in the car and the guy is walking towards that car with a knife in his hand. Um, the, the cop has testified and released a statement that he believed that Jacob Blake was going to like get in the car and take off with the kids or worse, do harm with them. He's got a knife in his hand. So in that sort of situation, it's absolutely just like put all that aside. Even if this guy was a a saint off the street who had no criminal history at all. If you've got a guy who you believe as a police officer is about to steal a car with two kids, two strange kids in it, and he's armed with a knife, you have to stop that. And if he's not, you know, responding to commands and, and, and stopping on his own, you can't let, a guy kidnapped two kids while he's armed with a knife. I mean, that's just not a thing that a police officer anywhere in America is going to do. No, and uh, nor should they. And he, yeah, I mean, his 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 talking about the incident is where he couldn't understand them. He couldn't hear them. All he heard was screaming. He wasn't acting. Uh, his own words. He wasn't acting sensible at the time. I mean, he's admitting these things that make it an erratic situation. Not to mention, he had already stolen her car before. I mean, this is something that had already occurred. Um, uh, Before we move on to something else, uh, for Blaze TV viewers, can you let us know what is the name of your orange cat? Bill. Bill. Okay. I just, Bill just walked by. Bill the cat. I think every, Bill had become a, a Blaze TV celebrity there for a moment. I wanted to make sure that everyone knew who Bill yeah, was. Yeah, that's Bill the Cat, Bill the Cat after the, the old comic strip. <laughs> oh, uh, very Bloom cool. County. I don't okay. know if there's any Bloom County fans. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let me move on to just the conservative movement in general. Uh, what there is of it at this point. I, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to be a little more optimistic these days, but I don't always find that optimism. Um, I think we are in a situation now after the Trump loss where you're going to have this sort of civil war struggle for control type of thing that goes on between all different factions. Uh, the Trump faction trying to hold on to what the power they've gained recently, the sort of establishment factor, uh, a group, the, maybe the old Tea Party group, libertarian uh, section. This is going to battle out pretty publicly here over the next uh, couple of years. What do you what do you think happens? I would have an easier time answering that question um, if I had a, a firmer grasp on what it is that the, the, the extremely pro-Trump faction identifies as their core principles, right? I mean, I kind of know what the small government libertarians want, and I kind of know what the, the neoconservatives want in terms of their foreign policy. I kind of know what the, the pro-lifers want. Mm-hmm. Um, there does seem to be a rather large segment of the Republican base that just kind of seems to want whatever it is that, that Trump wants at that particular moment. And I don't know how that plays out, um, particularly with Trump being banned from social media. Like mm. it, that, that has really kind of thrown an interesting wrench in the entirety of Republican politics. The fact that Trump can't go on Twitter and make these pronouncements and kind of change what the whole equation is for the entire Republican Party. And I think that that question is vital to understanding where the party goes from here. Does Trump find an effective megaphone that allows him to communicate with his fan base about what they should be doing and, and, and who they sh- you know who they should be supporting as effectively as Twitter did. 
And if so, I think that he probably continues to control the conversation within the Republican Party for, you know, as long as he remains, you know, alive and lucid and all those, you know, things. And I, I'm not trying to be crass, but he is getting up there in years. Sure. And, you, you know, you have to wonder, he, he, he shows to his credit, no no signs of slowing down, no signs of age-related slowing down. Unlike the current president, he appears to be in tremendous health and his mind is as sharp as it ever was. Um, the question is, you know, are his email list, is that going to be enough? Is he going to be able to maintain enough communication to, to kind of control that conversation. And I don't I don't know I don't know how that's going to shake out at the end because I know that he's he's got designs on his own TV network and, and his own multimedia platform. But can he do that without the aid of companies like Amazon web hosting services, you know, the mm-hmm. the major kind of internet players who seem determined at this point to keep him shut out of the conversation. So until we get a handle on how that's going to go, it's very difficult to predict where the Republican Party goes from here, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, you have to believe he's going to find some way to reach people. I, I don't know what that is at this point, uh, but it does. Uh, you know, obviously he could put up a website and post any message, any message he wants. The question is, do people pay attention to it? I do think the media will cover a lot of that because they're going to want to use him as a cudgel for for as long as they have him around. Um, But my impression over the past few years about Trumpism in general has been basically that the only way it even kind of works is with Donald Trump. All these other people have sort of run on this platform of Trumpism as a combination of immigration and trade policy and whatever, whatever that, you know, working party reworking it into like a working man's party type of thing is. And I haven't seen it really be successful with anyone else other than him. It seems like so connected to his personal personality. Is there anyone who can carry that torch forward? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I think that, you know, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz are kind of trying to pick up that torch and i don't think that i think you're right i don't think either of them has been particularly successful at it i don't think that it's uh tremendously helped their national profile and and it 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 comes with risk because if you're josh halley and this is this is what you're running as and trump is still healthy and and desirous of running in 2024 who's going to vote for you when donald trump is in the field you know i i I don't you know it's basically a a gamble that that trump is not going to be around or interested in running um and, and even if even if it's not him, you know, it, you would think it would be maybe, you know, his his son or someone from his family above one of these other politicians who's trying to to claim the mantle. So I agree with you. And not only that, we've seen over the years, and this has been surprising to me, that Donald Trump's endorsement in Republican primaries has not been tremendously effective. Hmm. Um his, you know, sometimes it, you know, I think that it played an important role in the Alabama Senate primary between Tommy Tuberville and Jeff Sessions, but if you look at the previous one, his endorsee lost to, to Roy Moore in the primary. Um, you know, he his previous, you know, Martha McSally won her primary over the Trump endorsed candidate in Arizona a couple of years ago. I mean, Leffler. you could go down the list. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, yeah, Leffler is another one. I think that he's less than 50%. Last I, last I checked on my scorecard, it's successfully picking the, the nominee for uh, Republican primaries. So I think you're right. I think that his appeal is particular to him. I, I think that uh, other people who try to pick up his appeal and run with it themselves are going to end up suffering because quite simply, we've just never seen a politician, uh, maybe other than Bill Clinton in our lifetimes, 
who can get away with the sort of things that Donald Trump can and and having that sort of personality and the you know the kind of let it fly and and say whatever is on my mind regardless of of how it may play with the media and I just don't care Really, Donald Trump is the only one yeah. I can see who can, who can get away with that. So. He, really, he is we'll unique see. in that way. We'll see how he can uh, extend his voice there. And, of course, we thank not only you, Leon, but also Bill the Cat uh, for this particular interview, uh, who's, <laughs> who's seemingly thank walking you. laps around your house right now. Uh, Leon yeah. Wolf, uh, managing editor of The uh, Blaze, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in a second. Just a reminder to uh, subscribe to blazetv.com slash Stu. Use the promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 30 bucks. Back in a second. Well, I want to make sure you enjoy your weekend. It will be your last. I don't know if that's actually true, but I hope it's not. I mean, that would be terrible for uh, our viewership numbers. Uh, hopefully you guys stick around. But, uh, I, you know, this fancy little pen that I have out here, and this is the Nancy Pelosi sucks pen replica of her pen that she was signing the uh, first impeachment with. They're not available for you to buy at NancyPelosiSucksPen.com, unfortunately, because we're out of them. But you can get the mug and get the T-shirt uh, whenever you want. The reason I bring this up is largely because there's now been a second impeachment and Nancy Pelosi kind of holds the cards right now. She can hang on to those articles of impeachment and never deliver them. Or she could wait six months or she could wait a month or she could do kind of whatever she wants at this point. When she brings it over to the Senate, there's going to need to be a trial. And she's now uh, telling people she's going to send the article of impeachment against Donald Trump to the Senate on Monday. So you got the weekend with no more impeachment stuff. Enjoy it and then realize on Monday it's going to come back and haunt you. Um, there's been kind of an interesting thing that's gone on in Washington since this election has happened. We've seen lots of promises of moderation and unity, but none of that really being you know, showing its face at all. Uh, we told you yesterday about the Joe Manchin comments, which should scare the hell out of you. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. Um, but there's a new article in Axios. Again, Axios, not a conservative publication. They say President Biden talks like a soothing centrist. He promises to govern like a soothing centrist. But early moves show that he's keeping his promise to advance a liberal agenda. Why it matters. Well, never before has a president. Listen to the statement. Never before. Has a president done more by executive fiat in such a short period of time than Biden? Go back and watch our show uh, about the 27 executive orders from earlier this week. We go through all of them. It's it's a little scary. Uh, Those specific actions, coupled with a push for more progressive slate of regulators and advisors, look more like a Biden of a Democratic primary than the unity and restraint Biden of the general election. Um, For the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, He's gone and, you know, people were like, oh, I want him to do Elizabeth Warren. Well, he didn't do Elizabeth Warren, but he did an, uh, an FTC commissioner, an acolyte of, Susan, uh, uh, of Elizabeth Warren, who worked with her on establishing the CFPB. That coupled with a Wall Street Journal report that Biden is set to name former Treasury, sec- uh, 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 Treasury official Michael Barr as comptroller of the currency. Now, I understand that that sentence was probably the most boring sentence um, ever uttered on television. But let me finish it up. Um, he's a major regulator of big banks and looks like the continuation of a more progressive trend. On immigration, a coalition. Of, this, is a, this is an amazing one. Coalition, 200 mayors, challenge the new administration to adopt a highly progressive agenda. This happens, right? Like, you know, a new president comes in that's a Democrat and the AOCs of the world get all pissy about it. and say, you're not doing enough. You're not liberal enough. We understand that's how that goes, right? 200 mayors challenge the new administration to adopt a highly progressive agenda, one that would give everyone a pathway to citizenship. 
only to find their announcement upstaged by Biden's pledge that he would try to enact nearly all the reforms they're pressing for. This is where we are right now. Joe Biden is not a moderate. Joe Manchin will not save you. AOC is dumb. I've said all those things a million times and they're all true. Um, Biden is also, by the way, uh, lying uh, quite a bit. Uh, He is uh, fact checked by CNN. He said uh, journalists had all said his vaccination goal was impossible to meet. Uh, Not true. Biden's claim is false. It's not true that there was uh, initial media consensus that the 100 million goal was impossible. Some of the early coverage of the goal did not even question whether it was plausible. Uh, some experts uh, figure uh, featured in the early coverage, including CNN, CNN's uh, Sanjay Gupta said the goal was achievable. And while some journalists and experts were more skeptical, cautioning the goal was ambitious, they did not so go so far to say that it is impossible. Also, um, and it's funny because CNN was the one fact-checking Biden there. CNN also sort of blindly rolled out this, uh, this piece from uh, some unnamed aide to Biden saying that the vaccine distribution program was so broken that they had to build this thing from scratch. There was nothing usable. Um, however, then Dr. Anthony Fauci came out and said, uh, that's not true at all. We did a lot of really good things during the Trump administration and we're going to continue using them. There's going to be some changes, of course, a new administration, but a lot of this was already built and a lot of it is very usable. Uh, so, uh, I guess, you know, you're not allowed to uh, disagree with Fauci. So that one kind of, uh, held up. Um, also I want to tell you about, uh, the first Uh, person of color to be uh, named vice president. I found this to be fascinating, a little piece of history that you may not be aware of. You know, Kamala Harris gets lots of attention for being the first person of color ever um, sworn into the White House. But it's actually not true. Uh, the, The truth is, back in the day, 1929, 1929, Charles Curtis Uh, was the vice president of the United States and part Native American. He served under Herbert Hoover uh, from 1929 to 1933. He was the first Native uh, American of Indian and... He was the first American of Indian ancestry to reach high office. Much easier to type, much harder to say. The first uh, American of Indian ancestry to reach high office. He was decorated his office with Native American artifacts and posed for pictures wearing Indian headdresses. Would that be allowed today? Even if you were partially Native American, would you be able to go out in an Indian headdress and pose for pictures? I feel like no. But like, do we have a picture of the dude? Here's a guy who should be known, right? Like when we are in uh, complete, uh, you know, identity politics land. Everybody needs to know what the first was. And they're making Kamala Harris to be out the first of everything. She's the first Asian American, first black woman, first woman. All these things are given her first for. They're eliminating tons of groups. Later on, there'll be a guy who was like uh, born from Indian immigrant parents and rises to the vice presidency. And they're going to be like, nope, sorry, Kamala Harris was the first one. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's true. But I will say the first Native American uh, vice president and the first person of color was not Kamala Harris. It was Charles Curtis, a guy who I completely was familiar with before this week. Back in a second. Tough news in sports uh, and really for America as Hank Aaron passed away dead at 86 years old. You know, you want to talk. it's, It's interesting looking at. the world we have today and how many claims of racism. There's all sorts of stories every day about how bad racism is today. 
Go back and look at that period when Hank Aaron was pursuing Babe Ruth's home run record. The dude was uh, called all sorts of terrible names, got all sorts of awful threatening letters, including you know pe- people threatening that they were going to shoot him in the middle of games. Um, uh, the, his entire run up to that record. Uh, and he's legitimately one of the greatest players of all time and really one of the most consistently productive players of all time. I mean, it, he, he was just constant every year, really good for a really long time. Uh, Hank Aaron, of course, was the uh, home run king until Barry Bonds uh, took it away. Uh, but still, uh, pretty pretty amazing and uh, uh, an amazing guy dead at 86 years old. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles hired their new coach. I'm happy with it, I think. You know, I mean... I think that's why people come here. They want to know how I feel about the Eagles coaching situation. I won't bore you with any more than that, but that happened as well. Elon Musk has offered a $100 million prize uh, for the best carbon capture technology. You know, Elon Musk, again, is a really interesting guy. I know I bring this up a lot, but it's like, here's a guy who was the darling of the left, a guy who has put his entire personal fortune, or at least a good chunk of it, on the line uh, to basically further... Uh, the the uh, the pushback against the threat of global warming, right? Like this is the big pet issue of the left. This is a guy who number one is doing electric cars, number two is doing solar panels, number three is doing batteries, number four is building spaceships to escape the planet in case global warming is as bad as they think. That's some dedication. Guy's putting millions and millions and billions of dollars of his own money into these causes, uh, and you know it certainly made him you know the richest man in the world. So it hasn't exactly turned out poorly for him. But uh, he took the risk, and there's something to be said for that. On the other hand, he's, you know, sort of a COVID uh, skeptic guy who, uh, who was leaving California because he doesn't like the regulations. I don't think anyone knows how to process this guy. Now he's coming up with this, this program, which is a totally capitalist approach to the global warming problem. I really appreciate stuff like this. Uh, this is a basically a hundred million dollar, you know, call it like a hundred million dollar X prize uh, for the best carbon capture technology. Carbon capture is something that is really interesting uh, if you are into this global warming uh, nerd stuff, and uh, you want to have an approach that can be utilized and keep us still living a civilized life uh, that we want to have. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff like, oh, we're going to put solar panels all over the place. Well, that's so expensive. Uh, and it's not really reliable, and the technology is still developing. Um, some of that stuff is part of the solution, but carbon capture is interesting because you could use fossil fuels. Uh, you could use coal, in theory, if you can capture the carbon and basically just put it, you know, um, put it so it doesn't rise into the atmosphere. You put it underground usually is the way they, they do that. He's trying to develop that technology, and it is pretty interesting. He's trying to get a bunch of people on it uh, for a $100 million prize. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is also in the news. He is uh, uh, giving this this... He's given kind of the conservative vibe, shockingly. Uh, he's no conservative, but he's giving the conservative vibe on what acting is. Here's the, the split, if you don't know this debate. Conservatives say acting is a process in which one person pretends there's someone else. Liberals, I guess, think you can only play yourself, I think, because they keep complaining about like a straight character who would play a gay character uh, in a movie or a TV show. Um, sometimes white actors are bailing out on their voicing of uh, black cartoon characters and all this ridiculous nonsense. Now, to me, that's the definition of acting. It's kind of what, the way it's supposed to work. Well, Neil Patrick Harris, now coincidentally, Neil Patrick Harris happens to be a gay guy who's played a lot of straight guys. So I don't know if this is part of the reasoning uh, why he believes this, but he's totally right and deserves credit for pointing it out. He's saying, uh, look, 
Um, I got to tell you, uh, you know, it's not true. I'm not the one to jump onto labeling. As an actor, you can certainly hope to be a visible option for all kinds of different roles. I played a character for nine years that was nothing like me. He was on uh, uh, How I Met Your Mother and was kind of a womanizer character uh, in that show. So, I mean, that's the way acting's supposed to work, right? That's the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, unfortunately, that's really been thrown to the side uh, uh, when it comes to the wokeness uh, that is going on in our society today. Uh, before we leave, I want to give you this uh, video that was burning up the Internet yesterday. It's, it's Joe Biden. He's walking into a building. He sees the Marines there, says something that's a little hard to understand. Listen closely. Tell me what you think it says. Now, the belief is uh, the interwebs have uh, decided that what he says there is salute the Marines. Now, he doesn't actually salute the Marines, but uh, I would say the insinuation is that he's, I don't know, maybe wearing an earpiece, like this fancy thing. I got this thing on right here. Wearing an earpiece as he's walking in. Someone says, hey, salute the Marines. And he goes, uh, salute the Marines, instead of actually saluting the Marines. Am I going to put that past Joe Biden? No. Um, on the other side, there are people saying he says, I think, good looking Marines is the uh, is the counter uh, attack here. He's not actually saying salute the Marines. He's saying good looking Marines. I guess that's better. Listen one more time. Tell me if you think it's salute the Marines or good looking Marines. I could hear it either way. I don't know that it matters at all. We all know Joe Biden is basically, uh, I mean, he's basically senile. We have a shirt that says senility now uh, that's selling a bunch of uh, uh, shirts because people know, well, he's already senile. And here we are. So we've got four years of senility now going on with Joe Biden. And I will say people already know that to be true. So we don't need to prove it with a with the video, it's sad but true anyway, whether the video is him saying salute the Marines or good looking Marines. Either way, you make the call. You can uh, watch the video uh, online. We'll make sure we retweet it from at Stu Does America, which is something you should always, uh, of course, follow. Don't forget, we have an Instagram page as well. If you're on IG, go to at Stu Does America, follow the show and get uh, updates every single day of all the fabulous things we've got coming up on the show and occasionally, usually pictures of me eating. Back in a second. You know, a lot of people show up to the show and they're like, oh, I'm going to listen to Stu's big monologue at the beginning or I'm going to listen to that cool interview he does uh, right at the, towards the beginning of the show, maybe in the first half. Oh, I'm going to listen to him talk about the news, but I'm not going to listen to that last segment because I don't want to hear that last segment. Only the cool kids make it to the last uh, segment of the show. We really need to be doing things special for you, you people who make it all the way to the end. I would really appreciate it if you uh, do something for us as well. Click like on the video, share it, reviews, uh, subscribe, do all the things that you know you're supposed to do. Um, One uh, last thing here before we go. Chuck Schumer had an odd accusation against Donald Trump. Uh, Check it out. But make no mistake, there will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection, insurrection, 
against the United States. <laughs> Did he incite the erection? We may never know. It's a, usually a personal sort of question, but Chuck asked it on the Senate floor, which makes it so much more fascinating. We'll uh, see you next week. Have a great weekend and then get ready for impeachment Senate trial number two. Woo!